Welcome to another episode of Band Director Bootcamp, the podcast with productivity and wellness tips for busy band directors. I'm your host, Leslie Moffat, and I'm really grateful to be sharing this platform with you. As busy band directors, we know you don't have lots of time to watch lengthy professional professional development webinars. So we share 20-minute tidbits with takeaways you can use to support you in this awesome profession in a healthy way. And today's guest is Ashley Cuthbertson. And I actually asked her to be here because I've been watching so many of the things she's putting out on social media and the like um, that I wanted to have her as a guest here. She's taught elementary band. She taught K-12 music in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. She's been a private instructor in her own studio. Um, she's got a lot of things and she'll tell you about them. And she's also an author of a book that's about to come out called Music as a Vehicle, Connecting and Engaging K-12 Learners Through Culturally Responsive Music Education. Ashley, I'm so grateful to you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation to share, Leslie. I can't wait for us to get into it. Yeah, well, let's. I'm going to tell them what we're going to talk about, then we're going to talk about it. But here's the little teaser, you guys. Here's why you want to listen today. Ashley's here to talk to us, like just straight up about how to make sure that those of us who are looking for support around culturally responsive and equitable approaches know that they exist. And, you know, if you're like me, sometimes it's hard to know where to start. And she's going to help give us some a starting point and some other things like that. She's helped us get a clearer understanding of what it what is culturally responsive music education. What does it look like? And what doesn't it look like? Because, yeah, that she has some really good examples that were real eye-opening for me the other day. So, um, Ashley, before we dig into all of that, can you just give us a little bit about you and your background so we know, um, yeah, who we're talking to? Yeah, yeah. So I'm Ashley Cuthbertson. I use the pronouns she and her, and I'm based here in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. We call it the DMV. No, not the place where you're getting your license, but the place where D.C., Maryland, Virginia all kind of converge. I'm actually located just south of the city in northern Virginia. And today I'm the CEO, founder, and the principal consultant of A. Cuthbertson Consulting. We're an educational consulting firm that supports K-12 teachers, music teachers, to be able to connect and engage with their learners to that all students have an equitable pathway to success through music. And we do that by equipping music educators K-12 with understanding how to implement culturally responsive practices. So I have the great fortune of getting to work with music teachers all over our nation as we partner with different schools, districts, organizations, and we run our own programs as well. However, I didn't start that way. I started as a K-12 music teacher here in the, the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. I actually initially was going to be a performer. That was my initial career track. I thought I was going to be the principal flutist of a major symphony orchestra. And then I kind of fell into teaching when I was in college, looking for, you know, just a college student looking to make some extra money. And I loved teaching, loved it so much that I changed my whole career trajectory. <laughs> I don't get to perform as much anymore because now uh, education and my students then became my focus. But as I was uh, beginning my teaching career, so excited and enthusiastic to get into the classroom, you know, spread the love and joy of music, as I'm sure all of us who are music educators do when we start, I was very quickly shown that just me being excited about teaching music was not going to translate necessarily to my students being excited. They very clearly let me know that like that was not going to be what was going to happen for them. And so I kind of was on this like never ending journey of trying to figure out what's going to excite them, what's going to connect with them. And I remember uh, in a very frustrating moment talking with my mentor one day, she said, you know, Ashley, you catch more flies with 
honey than you do with vinegar. You got to figure out what it is exactly that your students are actually interested in, because what you're doing is exciting for you, but it's clearly not working for them. Like, have you learned those things? And that was kind of hard feedback at the time because I was working so hard, like so many music teachers are. But what I realized was that I was doing everything I wanted to do, right? I hadn't really stopped to think, what do my kids want to do? Who are they? What are their life experiences? What are they coming already into my music program already knowing? And then I realized that actually I didn't like have the knowledge to be able to figure out all those things on my own. And so I did what um, people like me, type A, kind of want to know all the information often do. I took all the courses. I got degrees. I got certifications. And as I was learning all of these things, I was having to actually go to other subjects like math workshops, language arts workshops. There wasn't a lot of music workshops that were helping me target some of the specific skills I knew I needed to have for my music students. And so I had to go to all these other things. And I was usually the only arts teacher, let alone the only music teacher. And I just learned how to translate a lot of these things into our context. Because when I realized that I could literally be the bearer from a student growing up to be an adult, like I'm sure many of us have heard, you know, my teacher just said, just move your mouth and don't actually sing or just move your fingers on the flute and don't actually play. Like I could be the person that causes an adult to say that in 30 years, or I could be the teacher right now in my K-8, my K-12 program that helps students connect to their their life, their bigger world, but we do it through music. And when they look back, they are excited about the things that they learn and they want their kids to be involved in music. That really motivated me to figure it out. And so today that's what I help music teachers to do because I, I don't want you to spend years like I did having to figure out on my own. I want to shortcut you to that success. Yeah, that sounds familiar. It took me forever to figure out how to be a healthy teacher. And then once I did, I'm like, well, let me just teach the rest of you because it feels so <laughs> much better. So yes. yes. So Let's talk about, first of all, could you define when we say what is culturally responsive music education? Let's have a common uh, understanding. Yeah, this is a great question. So I define culturally responsive music education as leveraging the prior knowledge, experiences, and interests of our students. That's the culture part, by the way, so that we can work in partnership with our students, not power over, but power with them to engage them in relevant real world tasks of music making that help them to better understand themselves, the world around them, and also each other, but we do it through the medium of music. And so what would that look like? Can you give us just an example that you might have used in your classroom? You started to give us one, but like super specific. Yeah. So an example, it could really look all kinds of different ways. There's not one way, but one example of how that could look is taking the time at the beginning of the year to start gathering the background information on those cultural frames of reference of your student. And by the way, culture is not just race and ethnicity. We often in our society, we use the word culture kind of like this is a stand in for race and ethnicity, but culture is all of the values and belief systems that a group of people hold. And how does that people have those common values and beliefs is they have common knowledge, experiences, and interests. So how can you start to gather that information about your students at the beginning of the year? And then can you create instruction that is in alignment with that? So it doesn't mean we play hip hop and pop music all the time because not all of our kids are even going to be interested in that, but it might look like, can you find a piece of music that speaks to a 
a particular identity that your students have. So I remember in my last years of teaching, my students were so crazed about like uh, K-pop and uh, like the Korean pop music. And so sometimes I would find like Korean pop things that we could, uh, like uh, like pop songs that we could pull concepts from to learn about. But sometimes it was that we were looking at some of the common themes that were what attracted my students to that music. And I found other pieces of music that also had those similar themes that I could connect them to because they had a common understanding of like what those themes meant and it meant something for them. So it could look any number of ways. The point though is how are you using what you know about your students' cultural frames of reference to make instructional decisions? That's really the most important part. You have to get to know your students. You have to ask them questions. You have to listen. Yes. Yes. And it's an ongoing conversation. It's probably not just one Google survey at the beginning of the year and then you're good to go. Right. Yeah. Because (laughs) students also have to feel just like us adults, we have to feel safe enough to be able to get to the deeper levels of culture to Mm -hmm. share with you about those things. And that's not going to happen in a one time Google form on the first day of class. Yeah. (laughs) But that's a start, maybe. So tell me about um, because you've been doing this for a while. What are some common mistakes that people have when they try to implement this kind of pedagogy? Yes, the number one biggest mistake that I see K-12 music educators make is that they think being culturally responsive is diversifying their repertoire. So picking composers that uh, are Black, Brown, Indigenous, and Asian. And that is all wonderful. And I am definitely a supporter and a proponent. We need more representation. However, that's like multicultural education or diversity education, which is wonderful, but like a whole separate facet, right? Culturally responsive uh, education calls on us to, to, again, connect what we know about our learners, their cultural frames of reference to the instruction. So simply thinking I'm going to diversify my repertoire doesn't actually do it because the way that you're teaching that repertoire could still be the old way that we know doesn't have a connection to the kids. So it's nice that you uh, grabbed a, a composer from um, an underrepresented comp- um, background, but then you taught it the same way that you always teach. You didn't actually learn about your kids. You made no connections. There was no social political points. Like it, it's performative instead of actually getting to the root of what culturally responsive teaching is. So I see that a lot because it's easy for us as music teachers to go to what we know. Well, I'll just pick a different piece of music, but that's actually the last thing when I work with teachers, the, the last things we get into are choosing repertoire. There's other stuff we have to do first. That was very eye-opening. The diverse, yeah, that was, thank you. Thank you for that. I'm learning a lot. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> good guests. <laughs> uh, can you give us like, what would be a good first step somebody could take if they're like, ah, oh, what do I do first? Yeah, so the first step that I always suggest with everybody, and it's the most it requires the most work and the most self-awareness is that you have to really learn your own cultural frames of reference. So you need to get to know who you are. And that means more than just, I know my interests and I know what I like to do, but really like, what are your values? How did you come to have those values? Because when we're born, we are born kind of like a blank iPhone, right? Like there's not all these apps already on us. All of those things are put into us. So the values and the beliefs as well that you have, they came from somewhere. You need to really understand where those things came from. And then what are the implications for some of those things? And some of those things that we um, are kind of coded with as we go throughout our lives are not necessarily helpful for our students or for society. And that's where the unlearning has to come from. And so the work that people talk about is this work first, because you can't really make space for your kids' cultural frames 
of reference, their values, their beliefs. If you actually don't know who you are first and you don't know in what ways the uh, parts of you might bump up against some of those beliefs in ways that maybe might make a student feel unsafe or feel like they can't share things with you. So the work actually starts with you have to figure out who you are and what makes you who you are. There's a common theme with my book too. Same thing before you can figure, yeah, you got to do some self-reflection and those kinds of yes. things. Sweet. Well, I've got another couple quick questions for you, but before we do that, I want to invite the listeners to take a minute and think about how you can put some of the things that we talk about in these different podcasts into your own life in practice. Are you feeling overwhelmed with the never ending tasks of being a band director? Do you dream of having a strong music program while still enjoying time for yourself and your family? Well, the Empowered Music Educator Academy is here to turn that dream into a reality. Here at the Academy, we offer a comprehensive suite of resources tailored just for you. From insightful books that offer fresh perspectives to engaging courses filled with practical strategies. But that's not all. If you need a more personalized approach, you can use our one-on-one coaching sessions, which are designed to address your unique challenges, helping you find harmony in your busy schedule. And for a truly immersive experience, join us at one of our retreats where you can rejuvenate and connect with fellow music educators. The Empowered Music Educator Academy isn't just about teaching music. It's about enriching your life as a band director. We're here to ensure you thrive professionally and personally, providing you with personalized tools for wellness and productivity tips that last a lifetime. So don't miss out. Visit our website at www.theletterm.com educator.com to learn more and take the first step towards a more balanced, fulfilling career in music education. Because at Band Director Bootcamp, we believe in empowering you to conduct not just music, but a life you love. All right, we are back with Ashley Cuthbertson, and she's been talking about cultural responsive education. And I, you've given some specific examples and how tos and what, but let's talk about why does this matter? Mm, this is the most important question for sure. So, in our country right now, about 3.6 million students don't have access at all to music education in their schools, and that is a likely to a low number because that data didn't come from the Arts uh, Data Education Project in 2019. Likely, that's too low because it also didn't account for students in our secondary schools for whom maybe the band class that is most aligned with their skills, their abilities, is right up against like their reading remediation class or their math remediation class. So it doesn't actually include like those schedule uh, difficulties that we know is really prevalent at the secondary level. So when we say that 3.6 million students don't have access, we look further and we see the most marginalized of our kids in our society are the ones who have the least access. Indigenous students have actually the least access to music in their schools. And it's not because people don't enjoy music, people don't like it, but a lot of the times the way that music teachers ourselves, the way that we're teaching music, it's not connected to what's what's beyond what we're doing in the four walls of our band room or choir room, our general music room. And so it's so easy to cut what we do because the people who are looking to see how can we make sure that kids are getting what they need, we're not 
demonstrating to them why what we do matters beyond learning how to play the B-flat scale on the flute. And so learning how to implement culturally responsive music education with fidelity in your music program not only helps your kids to be able to more meaningfully engage, it provides equitable access for our learners with disabilities, our learners from backgrounds that are usually marginalized and don't have access, but it also demonstrates to our the other stakeholders in our school, our school community, why what we do matters because our students literally are the um, the walking examples of what we are doing matters. They can kind of be like walking billboards for how what they learned in their band class connects to their greater life. When we do that, we will start to see that number, that 3.6 number decrease because less music programs are going to face the hardships that we know that many of our music programs face. But until we as music educators start uh, embracing a different way to teach, we're only going to see that number grow, which means we're not even going to have a field to be to begin with at some point. And so moving towards this different way of teaching not only ensures that our kids get a better education, but also ensures that our music education field will continue to be viable in the future. Well, I was going to ask you, how does this impact student experiences and programs? But you just answered that question. So, <laughs> wow. Um, before we wrap things up here, I want to have you share with us how can, you know, because you've talked about a lot of things and I want to do a deeper dive. I bet other folks are going to want to do that, too. Can you gear or send us towards some resources, some other things for to find out more? Yeah, absolutely. So like I shared um, today, I'm not a full-time music classroom teacher anymore because now I run my consulting company where my team and I, we support teachers all over the country through our district school and organization partnerships. But then we also have our own programs as well. Everything you can kind of find out about that is on my website, ashleycuppertson.com. You can find information about the programs themselves, but we also have tons and tons of free resources. I myself have my own show, the Music Equity Chat Show. We have our blog that has, I think, over 30 or so articles now if you want to get deeper into some of these more specific concepts. And then additionally, um, as Leslie said earlier, I'm getting ready to release my very first book, uh, Music as a Vehicle, Connecting and Engaging K-12 Learners Through music, uh, Culturally Responsive music education, which will be out in March 2024, but pre-orders are starting probably whenever you're getting ready to listen to this episode. And so we have lots of different things, resources for K-12 music educators that are looking to get deeper, but the best place to go is just to go to my website, ashleycuppertson.com, and you'll be able to get pointed to whatever you're probably looking for from there. So much incredible information you brought to us today. And I can see that this is your life's work and your passion from all the stuff I see out there and the way you speak about it. And you've got me fired up to, to uh, learn more, to dig deeper, and to get out of my comfort zone maybe a little bit. Because, yeah, standing on the podium and delivering instruction is the easy way, right? And, and it's harder yeah. to do these other things. But, boy, the benefits and the payoffs, because I've done that too. I understand when you do this. So I, you know, I hope this encourages people out there to, to reflect and to go to your website so they don't have to figure it all out for themselves because, yes. you know, we're here to share, right? It's all yeah. about productivity and wellness tips. If you can be more productive with less effort, you'll feel better <laughs> mentally and physically. So, oh, Ashley, it's been a real privilege to get to meet you and thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really hope this is beneficial to your listeners and anyone who's listening that if you need someone to talk to a little bit more in depth, I also am on social media, like Leslie said. So feel free to DM me. I'd, I'd be happy to talk with you about anything going on in your program as well. 
Awesome. Well, this has been a really enlightening episode. So I want to thank you for joining us and thank all you listeners who keep showing up and, and making a difference for kids in their music, or making a difference in kids' lives through the magic of music education. The work that you do matters and so do you. Join us next time on Band Director Bootcamp for another episode of Productivity and Wellness Tips to Make Your Life a Little Easier. <laughs>